My very first thing was ever on television was going to air that day, and we all watched it together. So the first time I ever saw myself on TV, I was with Cary Grant, and he was full of great advice, not the least of which was, young man, don't ever eat a hot dog on a dais. What? I was like, what? He goes, well, because then there'll be a picture of you with a hot dog in your mouth. <laughs> Three Films on a Podcast has no claim of ownership on any film footage used in this episode. All film footage is owned in its entirety by the copyright holders and is used solely with the intent of film criticism, commentary, and education under fair use law. And just like every car in Too Fast, Too Furious, this podcast contains spoilers. Enjoy. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Three Films in a Podcast, the show where three friends work their way through New, uh, well, new to them movies in a unique rotating format. My name is Tyler Beck. I'm here in Portland, Oregon, and I'm joined, as always, by Ben Lawhorn. Hello. From all the way down in Salt Lake City and in Pleasant Grove, we have Matthew Weiler. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Matt always has an interesting way to say hello, I feel like. It's becoming (laughs) his his uh, his calling card. It's become my thing. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's a new segment it's a, <laughs> Matt's, Matt's yeah. high. <laughs> someday Matt's when we have high. someday when we have a sponsor we're going to dedicate <laughs> that segment to them <laughs> anyways for those of you familiar with the show you know how we do things around here uh, we started this whole show because we had a little three person movie club and we wanted to share that with the outside world and, uh, and uh, we wanted to have discussions with other people other than the three of us. Um, we, I, I like the discussions we have, but uh, more is better. And with that in mind, uh, we've got a special guest today. His name is Jacob Draper. And uh, yeah, say hello. Hello. I am ecstatic to be here yet again. Yeah. yeah, we're very happy to have you back. I was going to say Jacob Draper, J- Jacob Draper yep. <laughs> down <laughs> in. Uh, and then I forgot where you lived. So then I had to audible real quick. And uh, it made things That's a little right. bit weird. But we are super happy to have you back. This is your second time on the show. Uh, the first time being the time when you lost the movie draft of Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> it was a gracious defeat. It was a gracious defeat, which is really big of you to take last place. So we appreciate that. Some bold statements from yeah. what I feel like people who operate the Instagram, which is a conflict of interest at the very least. Yeah. I'm not conflicted about it at all. I'll be honest. I have no problem. <laughs> uh, that's an absolute lie. Uh, Jacob is our resident oceans 11 expert and as it turns out uh it seems like you're a big hitchcock fan and when you found out we were going to be doing this week's uh movie you hopped on and you messaged immediately and you just had to do this one and uh the movie we're talking about this week is north by northwest from 1959 by none other than alfred hitchcock uh because this is the hitchcock round of three films and a podcast um, so without further ado, I'm just going to throw it over to our guest, Jake, and I'm going to let him break down the movie for us. And then we will get into our, uh, overall impressions of this film. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, it's funny cause it's going back to when I was on last time, I mentioned Mrs. Weiler being an influence for me in movies and it was about this time. Love you mom. I was kind of 
<laughs> Again, like, subscribe. Yeah. <laughs> Call Matt. He's been trying to reach out. I think else apparently is going to work. Uh, <laughs> uh, but this was, it was in this point, I'm pretty sure we watched something from Vertigo. And I was like, man, like, this is awesome. We were, it was in a film studies class and you can't study the history of film without looking at Hitchcock because he's just ridiculously influential and super good. Mm. Um, and so from there, using a very, very early subscription to both Netflix and a free trial of Blockbuster trying to do Netflix. Yes. Um, I watched a bunch of Hitchcock movies, including Vertigo, Rear Window, North by Northwest. Um, and North by Northwest is just fantastic. And I tapped right into it because, as we'll talk about later, it's kind of a, the prototypical action movie for today. There's it sets the stage for what we see throughout 50 more years of, of action movies, including the James Bond movies, which we'll talk about. Um, but to kind of start and break this down, it's starts off with Cary Grant as Roger Thornhill. He's an ad exec. He's kind of a skis, you know, not, <laughs> not, not the super best dude ever a commentary on advertising, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he gets mistaken, right? Like it's, uh, yeah, not, not the nicest dude. Um, well, they, they even reference that Go in ahead. the opening dialogue. He even says, yeah. you know, he basically admits that he's like, yeah, I, you know, my job is to lie to the public to get them to buy stuff. So <laughs> at least they don't gloss over it. You know, at least they're honest about it. <laughs> That's exactly right. I, I love And this is a, it's a funny movie in that it's a funny Hitchcock movie. Mm -hmm. And it's not that Hitchcock couldn't be clever or silly because he could throughout his movies, but this is definitely one of his funniest. For sure. Um, and, you know, uh, Cary Grant steals a cab saying that a woman is uh, very <laughs> sick and he made him feel good that he's helping her. Like, yeah. so he, look at the value I'm bringing to this man's life because I steal his cab. Um, but he gets uh, mistaken for a secret agent that ends up not existing. And this is a, a you know, he gets set up and, and charged with, a DWI and a bunch of things stem out of a mistaken identity. And it leads through a bunch of really incredible set pieces and action scenes that again, influence tons and tons of movies. Um, and yeah, it has a really great leading lady um, in it who, uh, Eva Marie Saint, who's awesome, a killer villain. Um, and, uh, a henchman with really blue eyes you know a lot, a lot of really, really cool, what else could cool, you want great so movies handsome. with martin landau yeah. yeah you don't need anything else and that's uh some of the stuff that it was why i like this movie had you guys seen this movie before well watching it for this uh, uh this thing this is the point of the podcast jake <laughs> we try to pick movies that we <laughs> haven't seen before ben may have seen it i can't remember um, but, I have seen this one and I did remember that I had seen this one as opposed okay. to Vertigo where I thought I had and I hadn't seen it. I had seen this movie for sure. But no, nice. I, I had not seen it. I uh, it I also studied this in a, in a film studies class. And so I did. I had seen the airplane scene um, and that's honestly why yeah. I picked it. So we, we wanted to do some rounds uh, that were director specific. We kind of realized there was a lot of. Uh, incredible directors out there that you know it seems like you should probably have seen their movies um and hitchcock is certainly one of them and i realized i'd seen uh exactly zero of his movies uh i thought i had seen not even psycho i thought i had seen psycho but what it turns out <laughs> is i just had studied 
a bunch of stuff and seen enough of it to understand what's happening. Right. Um, and well, so I wish you had just seen the Gus Van Zant version. Like that's the only version of Psycho <laughs> you've seen. It's the one with Vince Vaughn. To be fair, that is a shot for shock reading. <laughs> right. So, it is. Right. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Um, and so, yeah, I've always been, uh, for whatever reason, North by Northwest was the Hitchcock movie. I was most interested in seeing first. Turns out I saw Vertigo first, which was great. But, um, I was so intrigued by that airplane scene. I always wanted to see it, but apparently not intrigued enough to actually watch it. Um, Matt, what was your, uh, what was your overall impression of this, of this movie? So this is my first uh, North by Northwest experience too, which is surprising because I grew up in a very Hitchcock home. I feel like Steve, before we watched any Disney movies, you know, <laughs> putting in VHS tapes of Alfred Hitchcock. Um, <laughs> You know, raising us the right way. No, but I I had seen several Hitchcock. I probably saw this at some point, uh, but I'm not counting it because I remembered none of it. And it just felt like to me, like I know that it's I, I recognize the iconic scenes in it. I recognize like a lot of things that, you know, filmmaking has pulled from it over time. Uh, but it just felt like so fresh to me, like just the way it was put together. The storytelling, uh, the story itself um, was just really well put together and like I sort of echo Jake, like there's all kinds of uh, James Bond type stuff in it. Yeah. Um, that was, that was fun to see. Very, very Bond esque. Um, and I even, I even like, I was watching like some of those parts where like he's, he's been, uh, I mean, he's not really framed. He's just been mistaken for somebody else, but like there's some of those like meetings and like newspaper headlines and stuff that reminded me of uh captain America's civil war with the winter soldier mm. um that i thought was like a neat thing to call back to with you know how much the mcu tries to like play into genres um yeah. right and so that that also goes into like the quintessential action movie you know um but no i i, I really enjoyed it it felt totally fresh and having seen a bunch of hitchcock that was awesome you know just a new Hitchcock movie for me. Yeah. Another nice. notch on the belt. This one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, this was a great movie. We talked about it last week with vertigo, but I mean, this is him in the middle of arguably the greatest three year run for movies where he does vertigo North by Northwest and then psycho. Mm -hmm. So I feel like he's firing on all cylinders here. This to me was a prime example. I think if you wanted to show somebody a great movie, um, that has, or a movie that has great sound design. I think this one yeah. was it. Mm, yeah. It was so strong in this movie. I'd also honestly give the same to kind of the set design and the editing because like yeah. the, the production of the interiors of all these like rooms and restaurants and things like that. Like it, it's amazing the foresight he has, obviously like when in pre-production, just like, Oh, I'm going to be moving the camera like this. Cause he does a lot of camera movements in this movie mm -hmm. and just how, you know, like we, we talked about, like he gets, uh, mistaken identity and the way that happens is so quick and so subtle that I, I think it's easy to miss you know if you don't know that like the waiter dude is calling for Kaplan and then he mm -hmm. raises his hand to get the waiter to do a telegraph if you miss that you have no idea why he's on the run this whole time yeah. and it's just like <laughs> he doesn't hit you over the head with it it's so subtle it's so easy to miss and it's like oh that's crazy that's why then the two guys are like oh that's Kaplan because he raised his hand when someone said his name and if yeah if you don't have that it's, it's not there and again that just goes back to the sound design and not like emphasizing the waiter's voice yelling it like it's just like it's in the murmur of the crowd uh 
Um, I think another great example of it is during the whole crop plane scene. Um, even while we're waiting for that after he gets dropped off by the bus, like the silence that we sit in for a while, it really yeah. makes you feel like you're there. I think mm-hmm. someone else would have like maybe played some music or something like very lightly, whatever, but we are just in silence. Um, and and that, it, again, he's the master of suspense and he knows what he's doing. Yeah. I love that. Cause the score is pretty prevalent throughout the first part of the movie. It drives a lot of the action you're with it. It's with you. It does an excellent job, a lot of strings and, and fun actually things and get your heart pumping and then boom drops out completely. Yeah. When he's in the yeah. cornfield. It's gone. And the first thing, and I love that thing too. It, it's like the confluence of the editing and the, and the sound design and the set design. The first thing he sees is the crop duster off in the distance. Boom, just there. He sees now three cars pass by the guy. It, so it pulls that crop duster out. It's gone. Mm-hmm. It's you've mm-hmm. seen it pulls it out. You're thinking about, Oh, the guy's coming to pick him up. And then, Oh, that crop duster is a little odd. It's, it's not dusting any crops over there. And then boom, it gets right into one of the most epic scenes in film history where he's getting yeah. dive bombed by a crop duster. And it's, and that's where, <laughs> you know, you hear a lot of the, of the Dewey effect of the, the, the plane far and getting in as it, mm-hmm. it gets closer, just bonkers. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I, Echoing that, I remember thinking when they were uh, in the home at the end of the movie, towards the end of the film, when they're you can hear the plane landing outside. Just the subtle, the subtle way you can hear it outside. And you know, Ben and I, we worked at an airport, and it just was like that's. I mean, obviously, that's what an airplane sounds like. But not only that, it's just like that hearing the drone of it and the the way the sound kind of moves around the exterior and and all that stuff, while not being overpowering and drowning out the conversation or any of that stuff was just, I remember just thinking in that moment, like, God damn, like they, this is really incredible stuff. It, it's mm-hmm. speaking to the sound design. Um, and, and like you said, Ben, I liked in the diner at the very beginning, first of all, I love how we just jump straight into this thing. Like we get a little bit yeah. of setup of who Thornwell yeah. is and the type of guy he is. And then we're straight into the plot. We're straight into the chase. <laughs> um, and we're playing catch up the whole time from there. Uh, but I liked how the waiter, like you said, was just sort of in the background. It wasn't so like the camera could have a lot of directors. The camera could have easily just followed the waiter around and had him mm-hmm. call for Kaplan and then cut to, you know, uh, Thornwell raising his hand. But I just liked it. It was yeah. just like you said, it was in the background. It was just sort of uh, happening. And if you didn't catch it, it you didn't catch it. And it was seemed very organic and and. You could yep. see the how the coincidence yeah. would have worked out. Um, and I really loved his that crazy uh, push zoom he did on the on the bad guys. Uh, it was like it was yeah, very yeah. jarring. I but really so cool. cool. Loved it. Yeah, <laughs> he's the, the man can work a camera. Um, and because he can work with a camera, he's <laughs> and as we've been talking about, he's had such an incredible influence in uh, in cinema uh, since. Well, obviously, since he put his movies since the out beginning of time, since the beginning mm. of time. Um, <laughs> and so it, it's it's hard to not it's hard to watch these movies, these Hitchcock movies and not recognize the things you've seen and, and then think about how, you know, retroactively realize that Hitchcock started that thing or did it first. You know, it's like the uh, the um, South Park and Family Guy thing or whatever, like the Simpsons did it first, you know, like. That's yeah. always referenced in those shows. Um, so I was just curious, 
if there was any scenes in particular that you saw in this movie that reminded you of a scene in another movie and what what those were. And we can talk about that a little bit. Let's go. Let's go to Jake first. Let's we're going to go to the guest here. I one that's a quick one before I get into my kind of wider point. Hmm? I mean, you can find a ridiculous amount of of references across movies in this because it was so influential. But a small one that I liked is the scene where the professor is explaining to Thornhill kind of what's been happening as they're walking out through the airport and the dialogue cuts out and it's all the airplane sound and he's explaining. I like that one just not even talking about the reference in that that's Hitchcock trusting you to follow along. Right. He doesn't have to go through and say, Hey, guess what? Like we've got a fake agent. Like he doesn't have to really necessarily go through all of that again. He puts it in there. And when I saw wonder woman, the first one um, near the end of the movie where uh, wonder woman is is talking to Chris Pine's character and they're kind of like professing their love to each other. All of that gets washed out because of airplane noise and so it's kind of left a little bit more to your imagination you know and you're you're Mm -hmm. kind of having to put your your uh your own dialogue on it and just you the emotion is played on their faces and they're both you know pretty good actors so it's it's really good i really liked that little brief reference similarly though it was played as opposed to just to skip over uh you know a bunch of exposition that we don't need to know that was a little bit more for an emotional moment so i liked that um, but any looking wider, all so many movies after this have done the dive bombing with the plane and oh, yeah. someone else. Mm-hmm. It, it's like it's everywhere. It's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It happens. Um, there are a bunch of other ones. But I mentioned this earlier. They do this in From Russia with Love, but with a helicopter. So it's a little bit less blatant. But this was only a few years after uh, North by Northwest. But basically the the you know broccoli family and <laughs> you know united artists i guess or whoever they lifted uh north by northwest changed out the agent for rather than being a a, a mistaken identity they put the actual agent in it mm. and they called them james bond movies <laughs> but they that's basically what they do they did it explicitly in from russia with love with helicopter like i said but otherwise you've got set pieces you've got big action You've got, you know, babes, babes of femme fatale, <laughs> you know, a lot of the times they're working for the bad guy, like though it just lifted it wholesale. So we can credit almost all of the future Bond movies with North by Northwest, which it, I like because I like the Bond movies, but it's just really funny to see the the, the beginning of them in a Hitchcock movie. For sure. Yeah, I was going to say, if, if for those listeners that listen to the Ocean's Eleven recast, you know what a fan Jake is of 007. So I'm going to, I'm going to trust your judgment there. I, I I'm following <laughs> you. I believe it. You are the Dude, resident double X. You're the expert here. <laughs> That's con- I, you know, I have some really lame expertises, I guess. <laughs> one, <laughs> 11, two spawn movies, but they just took Cary Grant's suit and they put it on Sean Connery. And that's like, look at the gray suit that he wears in this movie. And then look at what uh, Sean Connery's wardrobe in, uh, from Russia with love. Um, and gold, uh, Goldfinger and Dr. No, like, it's like, oh, this dapper man looks wearing. great in this suit. <laughs> that's right. He's just wearing the gray suit for North by Northwest. Like, it's, <laughs> it's hilarious how late it is. I know it just takes over, takes place over two days, but he's just in that suit almost the entire time, like 96% <laughs> of the movie. Then they finally let him, like, take his coat off. <laughs> you know, he's just like, he's like, his no, you gotta stay tied the whole time. His pants. 
That's true. Came yeah. out too with a very chaste leg cross as he's uh, yeah. he's uh, checking <laughs> yeah. out to see where uh, where Miss uh, Kendall is off to. Yeah, indeed. Um, well, what I took away from this, I mean, obviously, it had probably been done in some movies before, but it just really hit me how, like we already talked about already, but the silence can really help build tension. I think we see that a lot in horror movies now, where it's just like the quiet is more freaky than anything else. Um, so we had a quite a bit of that in here, uh, mysterious bad guy, which I liked. Um, but the two references I want to make, I feel like the movies are on par with North by Northwest. We're just going top shelf cinema here. Uh, clearly with, uh, Mount Rushmore, I forget what it's really called since we have Rushmore mountain, <laughs> but, uh, with Mount Rushmore, obviously we got to tie into Richie rich. I mean, mm-hmm. th- that's a clear, like, I don't, uh, yes. know how you don't see that, you know, Beautiful. and Cary Grant just together. They're there, you know, two peas in the um, same pot. That's when yeah, I hear exactly. Cary Grant, I instantly think different Macaulay sides Culkin. of the same coin. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Cary Grant could not do home alone, but Macaulay Culkin could do, could do North by Northwest. So, um, and then the other one is that, uh, that Frank Lloyd Wright style house that we see at the end of the yeah. bad guys. Yeah. I mean, you know, fuzz, you kind of brought this up for me, but it is, it's very reminiscent of that house from pineapple express, which if you haven't seen pineapple express, the first half, so good. Uh, I love the first half. <laughs> Man, listen, I would just appreciate it if both y'all would just take your shoes off me. And this is brand new carpet. You're tracking mud in here. Matt said you got British Knights on. I ain't seen anybody wear them since 1987. No! What the hell are you doing? Ted told me to kill him. Well, how about a little fucking discretion here? Um, but yeah, so the, I mean, those were like the two that I thought of. It was hard. It was hard to pinpoint exact references because it just feels like it's everything. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, Oh yeah, we've, we've seen this all over and it's great. But like, I, I can't <laughs> like pick mm. particular things, yeah. but I just think that speaks to Hitchcock's influence on, on cinema as a whole. For sure. That's fair. Um, yeah. I mean, you could probably throw a dart at most movies and they'd probably tie to a Hitchcock. Yeah, it's, scene it's DNA is spread far and yeah. wide. Yeah. hundred percent. Uh, Matt, did you have anything in uh, specific you could think of? Yeah, there there are a couple scenes there, um, and really, Hitchcock probably pulled them from some Kurosawa films. But there's the the across the road scene when that guy arrives right before the crop duster, mm. kind of like the stare down. And yeah, that wide my favorite shot, shot of the whole like movie, <laughs> looking across the road at each other, um, and then he does it again in the woods after he like rescues uh, um, Eve. Right. Yeah. They're they're in the woods and she's in the car on one side, he's, you know, on the other side. And so just like those wider shots uh where they're just like standing across from each other and like no one has a conversation like that, like that that far across. <laughs> yeah. you know? And so I like to stand awkwardly fifteen feet apart. Like, <laughs> like a samurai conversation. Like a samurai standoff. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, we see that in The Last Jedi. We see that in um, you know, Westerns. Um, but it was cool to see that in a completely different context, um, you know, Hitchcock kind of just like took that technique or that aesthetic and applied it to for his own use, um, which I thought was that was cool. And also, yeah. um, I also you you brought up South Park. I never not think of the lice episode when someone says luck had nothing to do with it. 
I don't know if you, don't know if you guys are familiar with the, the Weiss episode. <laughs> I've seen it, but I don't remember. But I just, yeah, I really like. Oh, man. Then you'll have to find that clip. <laughs> oh, I'll put it in there. Don't worry. Oh, it's going in. Look, I had nothing to do with it, Travis. That'll oh, be our uh, next copyright dispute. <laughs> um, yeah, that scene, uh, the wide shot of the two men across the road was my favorite shot from the whole movie. Uh, yeah. I feel like if, if I were to put together like, and in fact, I think Ben, you were trying to do this at one point. So my apologies mm-hmm. for not helping you with this project, but that's the scene I would pick from this movie. If I had to pick a scene to hang on my wall or something, I, I love that a lot. Yeah. Um, it's the, the expanse of it is so pretty. It's like yeah. the ugliest place on earth. And it's meant to be, it's meant to be like, so backwater backwoods, nothing's there. Great depression. But it's so it's seriously, it, it evokes the dust bowl. You're like, Ooh things growing here even the corn is crap mm-hmm. that he gets to do it's falling all over but it's like so pretty and i feel like after this movie and i again can't speak for before but in the you know the 30 years of, of or 40 years of cinema before i feel like everybody after that if you're ever shooting anything in a flat you know indiana kansas expanse you cut the sound out and you just let it just a, that light wind yeah i was like yeah. cast away did that mm-hmm. it's anytime you're shooting anything like that you have to do it the same way it's it just makes it so much prettier and cooler mm-hmm. yeah i mean if it's not I, I broke don't, don't fix it right to, exactly. <laughs> yes yeah exactly um the the way he framed the shot when the bus dropped him off i mean we were so high up and we're watching that bus come in and like i spoke to it again already but like i love how much he will linger on a shot yeah when a director yeah. now would just like okay we'll cut to him getting off the bus like no we're staying here 100 feet off the ground and we're just gonna watch him get out we're gonna watch the bus leave we're gonna watch him look around a little bit then we'll go down and join him and just like the way it's framed up with like the vanishing lines like when you're learning art for the first time it's yeah. like yeah draw you know a dot here and put all the lines towards that like there's a shot later on you know right before he steals the car and the the horizon is like almost perfectly centered and just that road is just going right down the middle it's just like it's it's amazing what you know he knows what he's doing it's the shots are beautiful i I love his his choice absolutely i was so obsessed with that shot that i had to find out where it was shot (laughs) and it wasn't in the center of the country it was in california actually in the central valley near castro california they did it like considering it's 58 i'm like like is that just a big ass crane or what (laughs) probably seriously yeah if i had to guess yeah i mean that that is one of the the coolest parts about watching these movies and the way he can move his camera and how it's so smooth and how it's so uh well crafted and just knowing what it takes to get a shot like that even with technology today and knowing what they Mm -hmm. had to go through uh it is it is pretty incredible like i going back to the vertigo episode uh i did some research and they filmed the you know the famous uh vertigo effect on the stair sets they film those sideways with uh uh miniature models yeah so yeah it's just the ingenuity and the way they were able to put all that together um there is a scene in this movie that if if you know me (laughs) you know i love the big lebowski and there's no way (laughs) you cannot connect these two scenes and it's funny because the scene i'm talking about in north by northwest is uh our boy uh our boy uh richard thornhill Thread, Thread, thornhill i was gonna say threadwell uh our boy richard uh kaplan whatever you want to call him uh he is trying to figure out what's going on with uh our uh our um femme fatale 
Eve Kendall and he's in her room and he he's a little suspicious of her and she gets a phone call and writes something on a pad of paper. And when she's out of the room, he takes his pencil and turns it on the side and reveals what she had written in the impression of the paper. Uh, and in the Big Lebowski, this is a famous scene where he does the exact same thing uh, in a similar situation. And it's revealed to be a funny little uh, dick cartoon. And <laughs> I, when I first saw the Big Lebowski and, and honestly all through it, that scene was always funny to me, but I didn't really get it. I mean, I got what was happening, but it just like it didn't resonate with me the same way it did with a lot of people. Like that's mm-hmm. that's when I hear people talk about this movie, that's a scene that comes up quite a bit and people just love that scene. And for good reason, it is hilarious. Um, (laughs) but it just didn't really resonate. And so seeing it play out in this movie, it made it like retroactively 10 times funnier to me because I just pictured myself being in the position where I had seen this scene before and it was such a cool, interesting, clever thing to do. And then just having it flipped with the, that silly dick picture. Um, I don't know. It just made it 10 times funnier for me. And I just, I just love I just love that they do this in film, right? Like these things aren't so precious that you can't do it later. Yeah. You can't use it in your own way. I, I really like that. I think it's really cool. It's a great uh, way for the Coens to like pay homage to Hitchcock, mm-hmm. but still be true to themselves. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Speaking of the Coens and sound design in, in vast expanses, no country for old men. Uh, they use that effect uh, to, to great effects. <laughs> and I hadn't really yeah. thought about that until just yeah. now, but yeah I mean, and, and fargo too even though it's kind of it's snow everywhere yeah, but it's that same absolutely. thing it's a linger let's look at that just flat nasty snow and just let it breathe absolutely yeah. um so we've established uh at length how hitchcock has uh, cemented himself in his place in film history but watching these movies uh you know i've seen two of them now so i'm not i'm nowhere near a hitchcock buff but one thing i've noticed is the way that he's like woven himself into the fabric of America, right? Like I I really was realizing like Hitchcock is as much a part of Americana as like the places and things that we see in his movies. And I just thought that was really uh, either. It was just luck for him that they, he was allowed to shoot in the places that he was, or if it was a conscious effort on his part to make sure that we're shooting things at, uh, Mount Rushmore and in front of the Golden Gate Bridge and in all, you know, in all these different places. Um, and I don't know. I just thought, I just thought that was really interesting. And also the prevalence of alcohol in his plots so far. Uh, I mean, glaringly in this one, the, the poor guy has to drink a pint of bourbon. <laughs> now, Matt, I know you're not a drinker, uh, bourbon is my favorite drink. What are you talking about? I've got my Dr. Pepper cream soda right here, Tyler. Well, imagine oh, if oh. I force fed that to you, <laughs> Jake. I don't oh, know. He'd be just fine. It's a diet. Oh, that's But I don't know. I just, I, it, I was thinking about, you know, uh, alcohol for better or for worse is a huge part of American culture. I know for me personally, I judge a city by like, the access to bars. I love hanging out in bars, uh, maybe more so in my twenties than I do now with gray in my beard. But it just, I, I was just wondering, it was like, if there's like a chicken or the egg effect here, like mm. is alcohol such a part uh, an important part of our culture because of movies like this, or is it in movies 
like this because it's such an important part of our culture. And I don't have an answer and I don't expect you guys to answer that, but it's just something I've, I've been noticing and just the way that like when you think of Hollywood and you think of movies like Hitchcock is one of the things that you'll think one of the people you'll think of uh, and Hollywood is such a part of the American story. And so I just I really love how it's all kind of tied together through his craft. And I'm curious, um, I, you know, I put this prompt in the in our um, chat thread uh, and it looks like you guys took some different um, different uh, directions on this. But so I'll just throw this to you and you guys can talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. And uh, Jake, our guest, you're going to go first. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing because Hitchcock's British, right? Right. So he comes some and sometimes I think that that helps people see America a little bit more clearly because mm-hmm. they don't oh, yeah. have necessarily they weren't brought up in it. Right. So he comes over and he's he he's able to really grab on these threads that for his purposes are kind of some of the seedier, maybe scarier bits. He can kind of grab the psyche of America and say, you know, what's scary to people? And he, he taps into psycho where, you know, it's basically the, uh, just your safety at any given time when you're doing something innocuous, there might be some lunatic who will just murder you in the shower <laughs> when you think you're safe. He taps into for North by Northwest. He taps into like being falsely accused or getting pulled up into something that you're not really prepared to handle. Granted it's Cary Grant. And the dude's hot and awesome. So he, he does just fine. But I think that he was able to kind of see and kind of grab some of the threads of Americana. And it's interesting talking about kind of the alcohol thing. I've been, and I don't know if it's okay to bring up books on a movie podcast. Is Whoa, that okay? Uh, with your, okay. I appreciate that. <laughs> it does violate it one be, of our rules of movie club, but you're a guest. We'll allow it. I, I appreciate you giving me this mulligan. Um, but if you guys are interested, uh, there there's a series of books by an author called Raymond Chandler and it kind of, he basically invented detective noir. Mm. It kind of, he, he started writing these books in the forties and fifties about a detective, a private detective in LA in Hollywood. And so it's kind of an interesting counterpoint to this or or almost a companion, not even a counterpoint because all of these themes are kind of strewn throughout it of, of alcohol being kind of a major point in some of his books, I'm reading one right now where there's an author who's super alcoholic and it, and it ties in and, and a lot of the plots happen in bars and in things and speakeasies. And he kind of, you can see the kind of the, the uh, prohibition, just kind of the, the, the uh, ripple effects of prohibition on society. Mm-hmm. I think that Hitchcock pulls a lot of that in too. And we can kind of see that throughout uh, the rest of his works. But I, I think that's kind of a, that's a really interesting way to look at Hitchcock as a reflection of Americana and, and what we value and what we fear. I think that he, he d- dives into that a lot. Yeah, I think that's a really good point where, you know, he, he can see us from the outside in. It's really hard to see yourself from the outside in. Um, yeah. And so the fact that he you know, he's, I'm sure he was studying Americans in a way that Americans don't study themselves. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think he's used it to a great success. Matt, what did, what did you think about all this? Yeah. I mean, and part of it, like given the time frame and his experience in like Hollywood and coming to America, like part of it probably wasn't even studying. It was just observation. Like Jake said, like the ramifications of the of prohibition era, like, 
I had a, I had a professor at uh, in college who was from Sierra Leone, and he always said like Americans feel like they own the world, and like <laughs> we don't look at anything, we don't think about anything other than like American history, and so the idea that like we don't think about the ramifications that prohibition had on American society and culture, whereas like in like Europe, like they don't have those similar ramifications because they didn't go through it, right? And so I feel like alcohol, and some to some extent, was like put on a pedestal and became kind of ritzier than it was in Europe. And so we have these nice cabinets with, you know, nice, <laughs> they, they make it more of an experience. Yeah. And they, there's like, there's a little more to it in, in the, in the culture. And so I think it was like a product of the time. And, and you see stuff from that era, like Mad Men, again, you have like an advertising guy and just in the office, they have just like copious amounts of alcohol at their disposal at any given time. And so I feel like it was just a, a part of the, the era. And I don't know if, if Hitchcock was influencing it or influenced by it, but uh, it is interesting that it's in, you know, a lot of his, his movies. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of funny because now that I'm thinking about this, like, I mean, the prohibition was a, was a big deal in America, you know, like we had the bootleggers and it was this whole thing. That's what the, the mob, they were running, they were running booze. It wasn't hard, the hard drugs of today. It was, you know, simple old whiskey. Um, and I feel like, you know, Americans feel like it's like the thing we won back. It's like the thing we own. And we're not the, you know, I, for those that have traveled, you'll know that if you ever run into an Australian at a hostel, like those guys are going <laughs> for it. They're, they're going to be drinking or, you know, I've, I've, I've been, drink under the table by some Canadians in Amsterdam. And, you know, so we're not the only country that reveres alcohol, but it's just, it's just interesting to me to watch every single scene they work in a drink. And it's such a big part of the, both of the main characters that I've seen so far in a Hitchcock movie. But um, yeah, that's very good. Astute observations from both Jake and Matt. Two points for each of you. That's a new thing we're doing now. Thank you, Tyler. <laughs> uh, ben, what <laughs> is your going on? Anyway? <laughs> I've always felt that what this podcast needed was to be more like uh, Around the Horn yeah. on ESPN. Well, we've, we Matt just did it. I, I thought I had shot a three, but I guess my foot was on the line. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, It was a two. It's a great shot. You need to know who wins, who, who won. Uh, well, I mean, I feel like you can put me up for a donut on this because I don't know that I have anything as valuable as what they said. But as far as Hitchcock's influence, I think, you know, when it comes to the landmarks, I think we probably saw more of that in film. Uh, I think he used it a lot just for the dimension aspect of it, Mm -hmm, just to show the size of what these people are versus like these things that people see all the time. Um, But I think his bigger influence on culture but also i mean it's hard for me to separate his influence from film but Mm -hmm. i think he did a really good job of making the everyday guy can be a bad guy um can can be a monster i think before then like we had like universal movies with like dracula and all that kind of stuff you know yeah but then like we meet norman bates you know and it's like mm-hmm. he, he's weird but you know whatever <laughs> but also he, he seems nice yeah he's, he's a very nice dude um he <laughs> yeah. wants to make sure i don't slip while i'm in the shower it's very nice of him um, but i think also like making the protagonist not just a genuinely good person all the way across not that that hadn't been done before i mean obviously like with rick and casablanca like he's not Mm -hmm. just like a clean cut you know straight dude but 
you know, in, in psycho, it, it starts out, you know, cause they stole money. So they're driving off, you know, and in, in this one, like we established, like he's not a super great guy. You know, he's like, Hey, you call my mom. I don't want to talk to her. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just like, he's able to, Which, I, he's just, he's afraid of getting dragged by her so well. Like I know. She, she, she was just, yeah, good yeah. Quips. yeah, she was, uh, <laughs> throwing rocks, you know, to bring you back to the basket. She was just like, back and down. This is the cabinet where they keep the liquor. Scotch gin, vodka. And bourbon. I remember when it used to come in bottles. But yeah, I just think it did a good job of that. And like a lot, what happened with Jaws, you know, after that came out and people being freaked out about going into the ocean stuff. I think that same stuff kind of happens here, you know, again, like to draw to psycho where it's like these things stay rooted in you, whether you know it or not. And it's because you're not like watching Frankenstein or like a mummy or something like that, where you're like, Oh, I can step out. That's gone. It's like, you could step out of the theater and be like, is that guy, is that a Norman Bates that I sat next to the whole time? Like, I don't know. You know, like, I don't know who the bad guy is and who isn't. And in my limited experience of film, this was really kind of the beginning of that to me. There's probably, I know there are a lot smarter people out there that can probably correct me a hundred ways, but in my experience, like, Oh, this was the first time where there's a lot of gray area in every character, which Mm. I think was kind of cool. For sure. Speaking to like his impact in film, like you said, like it's hard to separate it, especially with American history and like what we've seen in film now. Like you brought up landmarks, and I have to say, he handles landmarks in such a more and maybe maybe films of that time did too, but in a way more reverent way than we do today. Like in an action movie today, Mount Rushmore would have been blown up. You know, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. something would have happened to it, and they wouldn't have gotten like a cool shot from it. Like they would have set yeah. the location, and it would have been like exotic. You know, like oh, we're at Mount Rushmore. But you wouldn't get shots up Thomas Jefferson's nostril. You wouldn't yeah. get these weird like contours of the faces. You have um, the eyes too. You can see that like the pupils are all. Yeah. yeah. And like Ben mentioned, like the scale, like showing the scale, um, the, the change of scale, like the contrast, like from way the macro view and the micro view. Like it's a, it's just like fantastic, like storytelling. Um Yeah. That's, yeah, it's funny that you say that too. Oh, go ahead, Tyler. No, no, I just because that's that's to me that's why I brought up the landscapes because or the landmarks because you know we see landmarks in movies all the time. Like any New York movie showed the Twin Towers before nine eleven, and they still show the skyline. And they so you know a lot of a lot of movies have used landmarks, but the landmarks in the movies that I've seen so far, and again, Ben, to back you up on your maybe someone will correct me here point. Uh, the point of this podcast is to learn and experience, not to be the experts in film. <laughs> but um, I feel like the way that Hitchcock uses the landmarks is he actually uses them and they play mm-hmm. important roles in the story. Like in Vertigo, it's the Golden Gate Bridge. And in uh, uh, North by Northwest, it's obviously um, Mount Rushmore. But uh, yeah, I forgot where I was going with that. So no, I think I like I can crib off of what you're saying in that. So I did in a little bit of research that I was doing, uh, Hitchcock and, and Ernest Lehman, who wrote the screenplay, it, there's a little bit of disagreement, but between them both, um, they wanted to do, they had thought of some cool set pieces, basically. They really wanted to do something on um, uh, Mount Rushmore. Mm. And Hitchcock really wanted to do something at the UN building. 
<laughs> and he had some kind of some other ideas floating, but him being just first like a populist filmmaker of what can I make that's going to get people like really, you know, excited and hyped. Yeah. And and where can I tap into bits of Americana, which are, you know, Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. It's it's all of, you know, our most revered <laughs> men up on a freaking mountain carved into granite. <laughs> right. Um, so he's, he's like, I want to use that for something. I'm going to do, you know, really cool, fun little chasing. And then he's also like, I'm going to do something in the U.N., where, you know, it's it's the country's coming together, it's nonviolence, it's peace, it's post-World War II, like, future. And I want to stab a guy in the back. <laughs> yeah, <it>. so cool. <laughs> so what, yeah, which is just awesome. Again, it's his twisted little, like, I want to subvert this slightly. Um, and apparently, again, in the research, the UN read the script and wouldn't let him film there. So they had to get that really cool spy shot of, of Cary Grant going up the steps yeah. as he's getting out of the cab. They they just did that. They didn't have permission <laughs> to do that. And it also led to, probably because of the constraint, but that incredible composite shot where he's shooting down the facade of the building mm. as Cary Grant's running out alone, mm-hmm. just yeah. completely from the top and gets in that cab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys remember that shot? Yeah, I do. Which I love. It's so cool. And it's wild to think again about the technology of the time and, and, and how you know, the tricks they had to do to get that down. But it's, he used those landmarks to, to get, you know, our, Ooh, it's, mm-hmm. it's, here's our Americanness coming through, or here's us as a, as a global, you know, peace organization. And let's fiddle with this a little bit. Yeah. Let's get some, some <laughs> potentially Soviet, who knows, spies on Mount Rushmore with microfiche in a, in a Mexican statue. And let's get them <laughs> falling off of it. That other great shot of the guy tumbling off, which I, Again, incredible. Hitchcock loves falling. Uh, he does. He loves oh, he falling loves scenes. Falling. <laughs> right. And it's it's those bits like let's tap into America, but let me just twist the 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 knife just a little bit and get you uh, do something memorable here. I yeah. loved that, but but you don't in those landmarks in a really cool way. Yeah. Um oh shoot, I lost my train of thought again. If anyone has something fun to say, I'm I'm now down to negative one points. Uh, (laughs) I I just wanted like one of the the things that we kind of talked about already, but a particular scene that I mean, this movie's really funny and I loved Cary Grant's performance during the whole auction. Uh, Yeah. I I thought he was great. 11 once, we'll say 12. 11 twice, 12. Thank you. 12 is bid. I have 12. Go 13. We'll say 13. $13. (laughs) (laughs) You mean 1300, sir. No, I mean $13. That's more than it's worth. Because he's able to like turn it on and off. You know, when he approaches them, he's very, and, and the guy even kind of calls him on. He's like, oh, you should go into the actor's studio. You know, like yeah. he, he he's so much different than the first time they meet where he's like, I'm not, I'm not Kaplan. I'm Thornhill. He's like, oh, it's great. Yeah. That's what I've heard. And this <laughs> time it's like, oh, great to see the three of you together. Like it's almost threatening, you know, because he's, <laughs> he's survived death a few times now. So like, what the fuck do I have to lose? Like, I'm just going to come after these guys. And it was so good and then to like see that all his exits are blocked he's like okay how can i do this and then just to turn it into like a comedic scene and it's so funny like everyone's turning on him like what are you doing like please respect you know like what we're doing here it's like 13 dollars like 13 and not 1300 and everybody's pissed they were pissed before but then they just laugh they, yeah, it's like they yeah. Yeah. Else, but like, oh my gosh, the getting carried out. It's like I said, three thousand dollars. This is absurd. I think that one scene is a great example that you could like show people when it's, when it comes to acting of like 
like Cary Grant obviously is a, a fucking great actor, but just within that five minute span, we got to see him almost like a threatening Bond type person, but then mm-hmm. going to the other end where like he could be, you know, Don Knotts funny stuff like that, which is like kind of goofball slapstick stuff. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just, I was really impressed to see how that got handled and how they played it because either, either one of those extremes could have not worked, but I think this scene just worked wonderfully and uh, it's all due to, to Cary Grant. Yeah. Yeah. The, the same one is the, the drunk tank scene where yeah. he's getting yes. interviewed by the, by the doctor. Although I will say if you chug a pint of bourbon, you're way more hungover than he is the next morning. I promise you. But anyways, oh my God. Like, like when he said that, like in the hotel, he's like, give me a pint, like a pint. What? Like you drink a pint of beer. You do not drink a pint of bourbon. That's insane. That's crazy to me. But yeah, that's funny. Oh, the elevator scene was funny too. Like, Oh, Everyone's yeah. had that moment. Like, oh, mom, please, mom, please don't. Oh, mom, oh. <laughs> oh. You gentlemen aren't really trying to kill my son, are you? <laughs> she was great. The mom was great. Like, you're talking about so some of the good. supporting cast. Like, his his mom was wonderful. We've already talked about him, but Martin Lando was a fucking stud back then. Like I yep. just always, I I always thought he was eighty. I thought he was born with those eyebrows, you know, just like Josh, <laughs> Josh Romney. Eyes, but he looks like Josh yeah. Romney. And Josh Romney, if you're listening to the pod, please like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. We'll make you Martin Lando shirt. To, yeah, we'll send, we'll send some chocolate milk. Um, <laughs> but I, I thought Martin Lando was great, and he he reminded me. Sorry. He kind of gave me the vibes of like. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya and Widows. I don't know if any of you have seen that, but just like a very intimidating right hand person. Um, highly recommend Widows to anybody that you know really wants a good a good heist kind of action film. That, that was great. Um, but Daniel Kaluuya was wonderful in that, and he was just more scary than the bad guy in that movie. And I I felt the same way about Martin Landau in this. I'm like I'm more worried about that guy than the For actual sure. bad guy like yeah. landau's the one that's kind of freaking me out here yeah he's the um, one with the blood on his hands for sure yeah exactly yeah. so they're, they're really good uh even even recent we haven't talked about her a ton but she she held her own mm-hmm. you know i mean like carrie grant like that's that, that's a tall order to like be up against and share a lot of that like uh I can't think of the word, but very important screen time. And she does it and she's, Oh yeah. She's wonderful. So yeah, I just want to get shout out to some of the, the other actors, you know, and obviously James Mason is always, always great. So yeah, this was a, this was a solid cast and Carrie Grant was leading the way really well. Yeah, for yeah. sure. It, it, I'll, I'm going to echo you guys. It for sure is uh, the funniest Hitchcock movie that I've ever seen, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> it, it, I, it, was, one. it was, it yeah. was a lot more funny than I was expecting it to be. And both, both by design and maybe what I'm about to say was by design too. But the funniest thing to me was just Thornwell's like sheer, like the sheer indignation that he could possibly be, you know, treated this way, you know, like just (laughs) like the cat is like the, the cavalier way in which he dealt with every situation. And just like, he's, he literally almost murdered people with his car driving drunk. And he's just like riffing with the cops, you know what I mean? Like granted he was pretty drunk, but even in court, like, or when they're, when he's being kidnapped and he's just like riffing away at these guys and just like needling and puns and jokes and sarcasm. And it's like, dude, they have a gun to your chest and he's just like, ah, it's fine. I'm be fine. Nothing bad ever happens to me. And it's just like, Honestly, it was sort of like a representation of like the male American ego. You know what yep. I mean? Just like that oh, privilege yeah. and just like the the just 
yeah, like how incredulous he was that the fact that any of this could be happening and how seemingly unconcerned he was the whole time. <laughs> that may have been by design. I'm not sure. Maybe it's just a reflection of the time, but I was dying. Like, it just yeah. killed me. Um, it's and- definitely a little bit of both of that, right? Like, he's an untouchable rich white guy with a secretary that he can call his mom and he's going to shows and he's meeting people in the Oak room at the Ritz Carlton. Sure. So yeah, nothing really bad happens to him, nor should it as far as he's concerned, you know, this is preposterous, (laughs) (laughs) which is really funny. Yeah. And that's, it kind of goes and reflects really well on Ava Marie saying that she kind of got a little bit of a raw deal as far as some of the story choices made were a little retrograde for Mm -hmm. her. Like, I, I would have liked to have rather, I mean, I know that they do this later and they establish that in this world, Cary Grant is so hot that he, he bursts into a woman's hospital room and she <laughs> yeah. basically is like, don't go there. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. like let's, let's see where this goes. That was um, one of the weirdest scenes. Yeah, she's like, like, oh, she's like, oh. All right. oh, all right, Alfred. <laughs> like, okay, cool. <laughs> Could have cut that probably, but. but- yeah, <laughs> that's right. I would have liked a little bit of change there, but like every saying, like despite those handicaps of being stuck in 1958-59, like she really, really kills it. Oh, uh, for sure. Uh, and you know, it's yeah. revealed her character is in a really tough spite, tough spot, and is handling her situation very well. You know, she's a woman who yeah. uh, got thrown into this life and is now doing her best to, you know, double agent this thing. She's trying to spy on the spies yeah. here and she's holding her own. She, she kills it. You know, she is a phenomenal femme fatale. And I, I do think uh, we should disclaimer here a little bit in that uh, we don't, we, we have obvious, irrever- obviously we have a reverence for Hitchcock and the movies he's made, uh, but his treatment of women and Hollywood's treatment of gen of uh, women in general and uh, the way that they're, uh, for lack of a better word, used <laughs> in in the yeah. stories. No. Uh, you yeah. know, I'm I'm glad we're moving away from that. And and we've talked about this uh, on different podcast, the Marvel podcast. But I'm glad to see that you know, because Eve Marie Saint and her character in this movie, uh, uh, Eve Kendall. You know, it's a she's a badass chick, but she just in yeah. this story she gets a raw deal, and that's the unfortunate yeah. thing, especially with Hitchcock. He's known for. Uh, having some issues with the women in his movies for which yeah. uh you know i'm not excited about but um so we got to talk about the bad along with the good well, i don't want to spend... was... yeah oh Sorry. no go ahead i i said i was gonna say i don't want to spend too much time on it but if you've got something you want to say like by all means like i just thought it was interesting that in the in the woods when carrie grant gets like really upset at like the secret agent the secret agency he even like says like how dare you throw her into a situation like that or something like that? I'm like, oh, that could be applied to all of old Hollywood. To, <laughs> yes. Yeah. To right. the actresses. Right. Um, but uh, I guess before we move on to to how we're, we're, we're closing this, I did just want to uh, call a few like just like perfect textbook examples of storytelling that Alfred Hitchcock puts into this. And one mm. of them being the, the matchbook. Um, oh, yeah. Um, Absolutely. They, they establish so you know this this emblem that he has on his matchbook and what it means and like all that and they they do this in a conversation where you are going to remember that when you see it again yeah. um and uh yeah at, at that pivotal scene you know you you he pulls out the matchbook and you immediately know like oh she's gonna recognize that because i recognize right. that and right it's like i mean that's giving the audience so much credit to 
it, it's trusting the audience so much, but it's rightfully it's it's done so well that of course you're going to trust them to to remember that. Um, and right. I just feel like we don't see that as much anymore. Like there's not those those things being connected, those things being established early on to have a big payoff. I mean, it it does happen. Uh, and I think the better filmmakers still do it, but right. I just feel like it was such a textbook example of it. And then just to to stay on that scene where he like throws it down, I loved the just subtle um, subverting of expectations when the the henchman picks it up, Leonard picks yeah. it up, and yeah. you think like, oh crap! And they just like yeah. tosses it on the table. It's like Hitchcock, <laughs> Alfred. Yeah, oh, giving us <laughs> a heart attack. Again. <laughs> Keep you on the edge of your seat for sure. Um, that's a fantastic point and a uh, friend of the podcast, Adam Palcher uh, from uh, deep dive film school. I always want to say a damn movie podcast, even though that's the oldest variation of their name, but deep type <laughs> deep dive film school. He's going to be a guest here coming up soon. And uh, he's been one of the people that's I've learned a lot from as far as uh, movies and cinemas concerned. And that's one thing he harps on all the time is trusting your audience and how so much can be shown, but not told. And, uh, you know, it can be more subtle than it is. You don't need to be, mm -hmm. uh, hit over the head with it. So it's, that's something that I always look for. And, uh, you're absolutely spot on. Correct. Where Hitchcock, whether he trusts the audience or not, if you're not paying attention, you know, you're not going to get it, but he also does it in a way where it's, it's easy to kind of follow what's going on. Like when, when we're, also, yeah. well, also when we're like introduced to the, <laughs> the, uh, matchbook, it's in a way that's organic to the story, but becomes very important later. And it's a, it's a very clever uh, balance to, to, to uh, do. <laughs> yeah. Well, like you said, um, when you brought up the plane arriving, it's like, he's playing on all facets of filmmaking. Like you have to, if, to hear that, to understand that part of the story, you have to hear the plane arrive, even mm -hmm. though you're not seeing it. That's how he's been getting it. Whatever you do, don't get on that plane. Um, it creates that sort of urgency in that setting. Right. And so like to enjoy the, the picture, it's like, this is like what it's supposed to be like, you know, the sound, the, the picture, like everything's supposed to be playing together. And Alfred Hitchcock does it. Yeah. Masterfully. Um, so we've, We've talked at length about Cary Grant, um, and I want to talk a little bit more about him. Uh, shout out to Ashley, one of our patrons, one of our one of our uh, our strongest supporters. Watch party MVP, the reigning MVP. Uh, <laughs> she mentioned uh, that Cary Grant may be the most lead, the most handsome leading man of all time, which uh, I don't know if I can or will argue that point. Uh, she also was curious who we thought was today's the Cary Grant of today. Um, and so I thought that was a fun discussion and uh, something we could talk about right now. Jake, uh, I'll let you go first. Yeah, this is a, a very interesting, funny question, because Cary Grant is like, I swear, if you just tossed out a handsome actor, it would probably be Cary Grant's picture. <laughs> yeah, picture, right. <laughs> right. Like, that's the guy that you put. He's, you know, he's tall he's tan he's got the you know cleft chin like you know yeah so i i get that 100 percent um i was thinking of as i was looking through this and i actually just barely just barely came to me but robert redford would probably be up there oh yeah um mm. where solid and, and yeah you know he's a little bit blunder so that's a little he's bit of a job from kind of the 
the dark yep. do that job, got the job can man. cut granite and he's played like in butch cassidy the sundance kid like is there a like more attractive dude in a movie ever like as a cowboy i'm sorry like that's it yeah um so i would think redford might challenge him though he's kind of in that that space between Cary Grant being classic cinema and then in that shift through the 70s and more uh, kind of auteur driven and it kind of cinema starts kind of exploding out a little bit more where today and then today's just crazy yeah um so I would think maybe Redford would challenge and then for today maybe Brad Pitt and like he and Cary Grant Cary Grant in this movie and he are about the same age and he's just kind of been rolling as like the hottest guy ever. He's a little bit more of a character actor guy where, yeah. where Cary Grant was holding me man mm-hmm. all the time. That um, would so be I don't my know if that's argument, the perfect parallel. I was going to yeah. say Brad Pitt I, too. I, but I get that. Yeah, the same reason. I was like, I mean, most of his movies, the ones I dislike the most of his is when he is the leading man. You know, like not always, but yeah. you know, he's, yeah. I like him better as, as a character actor. Um, you didn't ben, like who, Troy? Who, right. I did not like Troy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We were talking about this, Ashley and I I was kind of throwing out that I I personally, I don't know that anyone tops Cary Grant. I think there are some like um, uncharacteristically handsome guys like Steve McQueen, Rock Hudson, um, those kind of guys where it's like they're, they're handsome, but again, like compared to Cary Grant, I just don't know that you can do that. Um, while Jake may have gone with the Sundance kid, I think Butch Cassidy himself, Paul Newman is up there in the running. Uh, he, he was a very handsome dude. So again, like, I, I don't know that he's on salad dressings. You know what I mean? Like he's a handsome guy. Um, <laughs> again, that visage just it sells. It sells. Yeah, you see it, and you're like, I, I don't even use it. I, I just want the bottles. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't even eat and salad. It's not even. I don't want this. It's not even a picture of him from his most handsome time. It's <laughs> no, because like, I couldn't do that to us. Not They'd even be him, off the no. shelves. It'd be oh like, my gosh! It'd be, no, like, that... it'd be like toilet papers during COVID. You know, it's just like there's no salad dressing, no Newman's own. Um, yeah, there. <laughs> but I think my uh, number one answer, and it's unfortunately very short lived, but I think it's James Dean um, mm-hmm. is, is probably one of the most handsome, you know, leading men ever. Um, he's just I mean, he's just classically handsome. Obviously, we didn't yeah. get him for a super long time, but uh, he'd be up there as far as today. I mean, we just keep naming movies that people are in together. It's like, let's just go with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because I think Leo is kind of today's guy, you know? So, like, let's get Brad and Leo together, and then, yeah, let's watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and then The River Runs Through It, or Butch Cassidy. Like, it's all these handsome dudes, but (laughs) that'd probably be be my guess would be Leo. Yeah, I I mean, you you got Matt. Other than Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac is classically <laughs> handsome in the best Danny Ocean. I'll take no questions. Matt, at your the, turn. At this point, that episode has already aired, Ben. Your petitions are useless. <laughs> I'm drawing people back to it. I was right. I've subtracted two if points from your up, score on this episode. If I won, I was vindicated. If I didn't win, this is why you were all wrong. <laughs> um, I, I mean, Cary Grant, I mean, you take, you take Zack Snyder's Snyder cut. And if that were filmed to in the see 60s, where this is going, if that were filmed in the sixties, Car- more on board. If that were filmed in the sixties, Cary Grant would play Batman, Superman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and the Flash. You know, he's sure. just, yeah. he's you know he's the superhero. Yeah, and, uh, I like it. Sydney Poitier is a uh, cyborg. Yeah, <laughs> You're good to go. There you go. <laughs> oh. 
Um, but no, I mean, Brad Pitt is is compelling for like today's Leo. Um, yeah, I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, geez. Um, but I don't know. You might have to go with, and I, I got, you know, I got, uh, we keep bringing up the Ocean's Recast. I was chastised for saying anything negative. Heaven forbid I say anything negative about George Clooney, but <laughs> Clooney, man, I mean, he might be. Yeah. He he's one that's like a really good analog because he's aging ridiculously yeah. well, and it's not fair. Yeah, what, I don't know what or why or how, but like, and that's like Cary Grant in North by Northwest is fifty four, I think. Uh, when this, like, he's still again, he's bursting into the hospital rooms, and they're like, "Yeah, let's let's roll." Yeah, let's um, do this thing. Yeah, dude, still got it. I <laughs> I see Clooney as a decent analog for yeah. sure. I mean, has there been like a more tan elderly man since like george oh, hamilton or something like <laughs> he did not have a tan line anywhere on his body no, like he, he was not. a bronze so god he looked great that's right it's seeing him like with every saint where she's you know light complexion the light hair that you know porcelain skin and man is just like yeah he's just walking off the beach in malibu every day mm-hmm. before he gets to the studio like oh, he, i'm sure he literally is i mean he's got to be rich beyond his wildest dreams in the golden era of hollywood living in in la like the dude yeah. was on the beach plenty living taking advantage yeah. of his climate that's for sure the, the, the beach um, comes to him <laughs> yeah. yeah right <laughs> um so I, I, can't really add, <laughs> I can't really <laughs> add too much to the list you guys have put out. Uh, it's it's raining men here at Hallelujah. the uh, three films of the podcast. And <laughs> I just been hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. Um, but I will throw in for uh, most handsome of all time. I'm going to throw a uh, Harrison Ford in the mix and see what the people think about Ooh, that. Oh, man. Is that earring? Man. The um, earring or Harrison. Like, it's classic. And but. As far as today's, I'm actually going to kind of uh, I'm going to do something a little sneaky here. And it's it's kind of a bummer. uh, But I was talking with a friend over the weekend about Heath Ledger. And we were talking about obviously we've been robbed. And I just know I I just know, you know, rewatching in our rom-com fest. I rewatched 10 Things I Hate About You. And you can't not be swept away and charmed by that man. And, you know, obviously he's yeah. been in a lot of, he, uh, he's played a lot of incredible roles and, you know, I love a Knight's tale and I've been rewatching yep. um, dark Knight and all that stuff. And, but just specifically his charm and that, that smile he can flash and like, you know, like I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm falling for Heath Ledger here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, we started to fall for this smile, guy. the accent. Yeah. The it's hair. just, like, come yeah. On. Like I, I just can't help but think if, if we were, had been lucky enough to have him, have him stick around, uh, rest in peace, Heath Ledger. But I, I could, I could see him easily being the most handsome man on the planet at this point in time. And if you're not uh, so careful, you're, you find yourself falling for Joker Ledger, you know? Sure, yeah. <laughs> he has his He's hair got, greased back in just the right way. It's like he oh, certainly man. has his charms. But <laughs> so right. yeah, that's kind of a bummer to take it. But that's kind of that's the one I can think of, and it's just more so a a hypothetical. But um, you know, I thought I'd throw it out there. Um, well, fellas, I uh, I don't know. I'm sure we could honestly talk about Hitchcock and this movie and 
all the things it's uh, influenced. And, you know, this conversation could go for can spider web into a bunch of different ways. So um, unless you guys have anything uh, pressing or any other points you want to make, um, I think we can cut it off here, but yeah, now's one, your time. I just have one speaking of cutting it off as a person <laughs> who edits for full time for a living. I am floored that they only cut eight feet of film off of this movie, which is like five oh, wow. seconds of footage. I cannot believe that. That's insane <laughs> to me that that happened in the day of like film films. That's, that's insane to me. But I mean, again, if that's true, even if that's like stretched or something like that, but I think again, it just speaks to Hitchcock, knowing his craft, knowing what he wants and getting it and getting out. So that that's amazing to me. I was, I was blown away when I saw that. I did that's not crazy. know that. That's I'm glad you're touching on the editing because I did want to hit on that a second. And just to let people think about how movies used to be edited, which was literally they get into the bay and they've got all of their film reels that they've shot and developed. And then they're literally cutting and splicing film together. And Hitchcock and his editors, they do it. It's so frame perfect. Yeah, it is incredible. Oh, yeah. The shot where he's he's got the camera outside the train. And it just pans in and all of a sudden, he, boom, he's he's inside the train now and he's looking so at the good. car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Holy crap. It, bonkers stuff. And they're doing it. They're literally cutting it out and putting it together and running it through. Uh, if you want to go off, uh, you guys, you know, you already know this, but anyone who's interested to look at old film editing bays, they're nuts. Just just go Google a picture or YouTube how you edit actual film. It's uh, it's really impressive to see this movie and think about that. For sure, we are very spoiled with Premiere and After Effects. And speaking of such, <laughs> even the opening titles, uh, the way that they're sort of oh, overlaid on the building and they look like they're on the building. Uh, that's Saul an Bass, effect. baby. Yeah, Saul Bass, and that's something that like once we got the ability to do that in After Effects, that's uh something that Ben and I personally abused quite a bit in our editing, yeah. making real estate videos. <laughs> and I just was like to see that from a movie in 1959, when it's something that I literally didn't know how to do until 2012 or whatever. Like, I don't know. I was super impressed by that. Super blown away. I don't know why it surprised me necessarily, but yeah, the editing in this, the fact that he, yeah, if that's true, Ben, that's, incredible <laughs> it's it's nuts and we can put this all in the patron exclusive so it doesn't extend the episode too much no, it's but fine. when we when we <laughs> when matt talked about like what we want the pod to be when we were in the infant stages of you know three films on a podcast this was the one thing that i referenced i'm like i love the opening credits from north by northwest uh, okay. i couldn't have called saw bass by name you know i didn't know it that well i just knew that i loved exactly what you were just talking about and then in watching it here i was like man like how did they do that like is is he drawing it that way on there or like you know because now we just have basic 3d and you can rotate and do all that <laughs> stuff and like i feel like he had to like try and you know just kind of lay over it and then the way once the opening credits are done and we're left with that grid and then it goes to the movie itself and the grid is like perfectly matched like oh mm. my god it's so so good it is it's yeah th- yeah th- their duo was was perfect this mm-hmm. all bass hitchcock it was, it was wonderful absolutely um well shoot i think that's as good a place as any to end it um jake shout out thanks again for coming on it's always a pleasure uh the conversation is great i always love your insight you're welcome back anytime you leave today's episode with two points. Uh, yes. And just because I like you, I'll give you a third and we'll declare you the winner of the North <gasps> by Northwest episode. <laughs> Next week, man. Next week. That's, it's not fair. I, I know, but it is what it is. 
<laughs> I'd like to thank everyone who, you know, got me here. You're welcome today. Mm -hmm. God for giving me this computer. Sure. Um, and, and you guys for letting me be on the pod. It's, it's, uh, I really look forward to it. It's really fun. Uh, Absolutely. And again, I'd I love to listen. So I'll go back and listen and, and wait for this one. But, uh, thanks guys. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank yeah, you for sure. Uh, for those of you out there that are interested in, uh, being a guest on the podcast, reach out, uh, we, you can find us on Instagram DMS on Twitter, wherever, uh, some of you might have our phone numbers, uh, you know, don't call yes. after 10. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, there, there are options on our Patreon uh, that you can look at that can get you more involved in the podcast. But regardless, we're just happy you're here, whether it's on Instagram, Apple Podcast, Apple Pod, Podcasts. I'm just going to go with that. Uh, Spotify, um, wherever you're finding us, we're glad you did. And uh, thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next time. See ya. See ya. Give me a bedroom on the 20th century, please. Leaving in five minutes. Yes, I know. Could you make a snap here? I think they're all sold out. They're sold out? You can always go coach. No, no, I, I can't do that. What time is the next train? Nothing till 10. You're in a hurry, huh? Well, could you call them and see what they have? Something wrong with your eyes? Yes, they're sensitive to questions. Will you call them?